is a brand new religious billboard on I-95 near East Haven. It has only six words. Are you preparing to meet Jesus? Now underneath those words is a long heart rate line from an EKG of someone who has just died. And underneath that long flat line EKG it says, call 83 for the truth. Are you preparing to meet Jesus? The people who paid for that billboard are eagerly looking forward to Judgment Day, the day of death when they believe Jesus will return to earth for the sole purpose of judging who is going to heaven and who is going to hell. Now I looked it up, and in order to make the cut, they insist that all humans must believe the following. Every word in the Bible is the literal word of God, Women do not have the authority to teach religious doctrine. Birth control of any kind is prohibited. Marriage is always between a man and a woman. And lastly, and lastly, we must all belong to the one true religion, the one religion out of 4,200 different world faiths, the one true religion who sponsored that billboard. Just call 83 for truth. What about you? Are you preparing to meet Jesus? Now, it is true that one of the many attributes of God and Jesus in the Bible is that of a judge. However, nowhere in the Bible is God or Jesus judgmental. There's a huge difference. Gordon is a good judge, but he is not judgmental. And neither is God. Well, that whole drive-by experience caused me to wonder, what if God created a billboard? What would God say on it? Enter our first reading for this morning. After escaping from Egypt, the Hebrew people are in the wilderness. It was a vast, threatening place, and they are wandering around with no home and no temple. So after several weeks, they began to wonder, is God still with them? So God speaks to Moses. God says, have the people build a portable sanctuary, something to remind them that I am with them always. It is known as the Ark of the Covenant. And it was a revolutionary idea. The notion that God is not just up in heaven looking down, but with the people next to them every step of the way. It's actually a fascinating passage. Fascinating in the sense that God is head of PR and also the chief architect. With meticulous detail, God tells them exactly how to build this mobile ark, this portable billboard. You shall make the ark out of acacia wood, two and a half cubits in length and one and a half cubits in width. And it shall be overlaid with pure gold and four gold rings on each corner, and you shall put two poles through those rings to carry the ark around. And then God says this, you shall make a seat on the ark for me. Make it out of pure gold as well, I like gold, with a cherub on each side. And the cherubim wings shall spread out so no one can see the seat because no one can see God. And you shall call my seat, and you shall call my seat the mercy seat. I love that. Not the judgment seat, not the anger seat, 
not the big kahuna seat, rather the mercy seat. It was a radical idea. In those days, God or the God's main attribute was judgment. They were believed to be up in heaven thundering with anger and lobbing lightning bolts at people on a random basis. But not this God, not the God of Abraham and Sarah, rather this God is first and foremost a God of mercy. Well, I then started to wonder why mercy seat and not a compassion seat. Compassion is derived from the Latin words to suffer. Having compassion is to suffer with someone. When a good friend experiences a great loss, we go to them, we sit with them, we hold their hand, we bring them a casserole, we weep with them, we suffer with them. That's compassion. But mercy is something entirely different. To show mercy to someone is to be in a position of complete power over them. In Scripture, the rich and the powerful are called to show mercy to the widows and the orphans and the sick. Human beings have complete power over the environment and all God's creatures, great and small. So creation is completely at our mercy. I am reminded of a little story by Christopher DeVink. He wrote, One spring afternoon, my five-year-old son David and I were planting raspberry bushes alongside of our garage. A neighbor came out and joined us for a few moments. Suddenly, David pointed to the ground. Look, Daddy, what's that? I stopped talking with my neighbor and I looked down. Why, that's a beetle, I said. David was impressed and pleased with the discovery of this fancy, colorful creature. At which point my neighbor lifted his foot, stepped on the beetle, giving it a twist in the dirt, and said, that ought to do it, and he laughed out loud. David looked up, waiting for an explanation for some kind of a reason. Well, later that night, just before I turned off the lights in his bedroom, David whispered, I like that beetle, Daddy. I did too, I whispered back. DeVink concludes, we have the power to choose. The power to choose how we will respond to everything that crosses our path from beetles to human beings. Enter our gospel reading for this morning. Jesus and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. He shouted loudly, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. At which point many in the crowd, including the disciples, sternly ordered him to be quiet. But Bartimaeus cried out even louder, son of David, have mercy on me. And hearing this, Jesus called him over. Throwing aside his cloak, Bartimaeus sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said, what can I do for you? Bartimaeus replied, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight, joined that huge crowd, and followed them on their way. Perhaps you've had the experience. At least once a week, I'll be walking down a familiar New Haven city street when suddenly I hear a loud voice Hey, mister, can you spare some change so I can buy a sandwich? 
And yes, honestly, the first thought that comes to mind, is this homeless person really going to use that money to buy a sandwich? Or are they just pooling donations for cigarettes or drugs? I'm never sure. But what I am sure of is that they are asking for mercy. And I am the one with all the power. So I give them some change or a buck and I go on my way and they say, God bless you, and it feels pretty good. And then the next week, the same thing happens all over again. Same place, same person shouting to me, hey, mister, can you spare some change? Hey, mister, have mercy on me. At which point I do it. I make them invisible. I keep walking and pretend like I don't see or hear them, and I feel terrible. Well, that's happened several times since I moved to New Haven. And then a few days ago, after I reread our gospel lesson for today, I had this epiphany. Now when I hear those local people cry out for mercy, I hear the cry of Bartimaeus, the cry from someone who is invisible in our culture, a cry for something more than a few loose coins, rather a deep unconscious cry for hope and belonging. And that's exactly what happened in this passage if you look at it closely. The metaphor for restored sight is that Jesus made Bartimaeus whole. He restored him back into society. He made him fully human and fully free. So how do we know this? It's right there in verse 50. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. He threw away his signature beggar's cloak. The cloak beggars spread out on the dirt where people drop their coins like me and then go on their way. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus and he joined that large crowd. And in that instant, he was integrated back into society. Or in the words of our offertory spiritual this morning, in that instant, he put on his gospel shoes. So let Bartimaeus' cry for mercy be the cry of the homeless who need more than spare change, who live hidden in tall grass behind public buildings, including churches. The invisible in our society who are told to keep quiet, who need the same access to mental health and drug rehab as the wealthy do. And let Bartimaeus' cry for mercy be the cry out against racism in our world, racism that silences minorities by changing voting laws, environmental racism in poor black neighborhoods with contaminated water, first flint, and now the lead poisoning in Benton Harbor, lead poisoning that they've decided to, quote, study. Be assured if those lead pipes were in Fairfield County, there would be a backhoe on every block. And this something that has pierced this minister's heart time and time again for 25 years. Let Bartimaeus cry for mercy, stand for people who want the right to die with peace and dignity without having to move to Oregon or Switzerland. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a hospital with someone just hours from their death and they are suffering and they are in pain. 
suffering because the good doctors and nurses are afraid to give them too much morphine for fear that they're going to be sued. We treat our animals better than that. So here's what I do. I sit by that bed with that family as long as it takes. And if that person is suffering, I send a family member out to the nurse's station to ask for a wee bit more morphine in the IV. And I keep sending them out there every hour. And it usually takes several hours until their loved one is finally relaxed, until they can fully let go. And when the time is right, fall back gently into the arms of God. And you know what? The win, it is a double win for everyone. Shakespeare got it right when he said it was a double blessing. The quality of mercy is twice blessed. It blesses those who give and those who receive. Allowing terminally ill people a quality death, the right to die with dignity and comfort is an act of mercy and all houses of worship should be all over it. Psalm 23 is all over it. And mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, including the last day. And finally this. Our gospel story ends with Jesus saying to Bartimaeus, your faith has made you well. So I ask you this morning, what kind of faith did Bartimaeus have? was surely not the quiet, submissive, resigned faith that most of us were taught in Sunday school. Rather, Bartimaeus' faith was just the opposite. Have mercy, he shouted to Jesus. At which point the church ordered him to be quiet, submissive, and resigned. And what did Bartimaeus do? He shouted even louder, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus' faith was countercultural and counter-religious. It was loud and persistent, hopeful and risky and raw, and Jesus loved it. Bartimaeus cried out, have mercy. May we hear his voice today echoing across 2,000 years of history. May we hear him in the voices of all those who cry out for our mercy people crying out for systemic change, for the kind of justice that Shakespeare proposed, a justice seasoned with mercy. And may we labor ourselves to make it happen with our own loud, persistent, hopeful, risky, raw faith. It's entirely up to us. We have the power the power to choose how we will respond to everything that crosses our path from beetles to human beings.